0: This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Hurley. Independent news commentary with a California perspective, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 12, Episode 19. Does anyone still care about the Oscars? Talking with Sean Chang from the movie and TV blog, Hill Place. As the 94th Academy Awards ceremony looms into focus next month, March 27th, we have to ask how relevant this annual ritual is in 2022. The heyday for the Oscars, the 1930s through the 1990s, when the big studios reigned supreme, seems far removed from today's heavy-handed sense of solemnity and preachy virtue signaling. And TV audiences seem to shrink every year. So it's fair to pose the question. Does anyone still care about the Oscars? Sean Chang joins us today to share his thoughts. Hi, Sean, and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me back. Are you posing that question to me to start this conversation? Does anyone still care?
0: I am indeed. That's a question. That's the lead question for you, Sean tonight. So go ahead.
1: Okay. OK, well, I care. But clearly, whether I care or not is not reflective of the population at large, nor, nor should it be. I've noticed in the last 10 to 15 years, I mean, obviously, I care because I've always loved movies. It's, it's, the Oscars has been a ritual since my childhood. I would watch it every year. I'd care about who got nominated, who won. I'd have my favorites and root for them and be disappointed if they didn't win. And I still feel that way even today. But I start realizing as I started talking with friends, a lot of them really did, started not caring in the last decade. I really started to notice that. It wasn't something they watched. A lot of those movies that were being nominated are movies that most of them you know, just couldn't relate enough to to basically take the time to go see in theaters, much less root for. I'll give you an example as a point of contrast. This past Sunday was the Super Bowl and many more people out there seemed more connected to and cared more about that as an annual ritual than they do the Academy Awards. So I've seen and sensed the last decade or so a shift in in the American culture at large in terms of how they feel about the Oscars. So hopefully that answers your question as a starting point in this conversation. Sure.
0: Why do you think that is? Because, I mean, growing up for me in the 50s, and 60s and, and for you, the 70s and 80s, it was an event where the whole family gathered around the TV. There was a sense of anticipation, a sense of excitement. As you said, you would root for your favorite star your favorite movie. Why do you think that why do you think that's changed over the last 10 to 15 years?
1: There's a variety of answers. I'll try to break it down point by point in a way that makes sense to the listeners. I think, quite frankly, one of the key things that's changed is the direction of movie going, I mean, movie making, excuse me. The major studios could always be relied upon to produce a certain number of movies every year that were intelligent, thoughtful movies that were geared, um, you know, for a more mature audience, basically, you know, geared with with the awards, uh, potential nominations and awards in mind. As such, you know, you would have movies, you know, nominated and, and win. Some of these movies, like Terms of Endearment is an example, and that same year, one of my favorite movies, The Right Stuff was nominated, and that was one year where I was rooting for The Right Stuff, but Terms of Endearment beat it, and I'm fine with that because that's also a great movie in its own right. One of my favorite films is Robert Altman's Nashville. It didn't win that year. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest won, but the movies that it was competing against that year were movies like Dog Day Afternoon, directed by Sidney Lumet, Barry Lyndon, directed by Stanley Kubrick, Jaws, directed by Steven Spielberg, you know, and so that's the kind of the caliber of movies that you could expect to be nominated in a given year. With the studios not focusing on that as much and focusing more on these tent pole type movies, Marvel type movies, Star Wars, things like that. By the way, um, before I progress any further, I don't want it to sound like I'm one of those snobs that's putting down those tentpole <laughs> movies or those Marvel movies. There's a place for them, sure. and and I actually I actually uh, feel that we need to also recognize that they're helping to keep the movie. The movie-going experience in the theater is alive. The Mm -hmm. success of the recent Spider-Man movie reflects that people are still willing to go see movies even during this pandemic. So I am not one of these snobs that that looks down on it. But the thing is is that they're so focused on that, they're not focused on doing the sort of entertaining, thoughtful fare. And what ends up happening is is that it falls upon the independent studios, filmmakers, to make the movies that end up becoming considered Oscar-worthy. And the problem there is, is I'm I'm not really sure that these independent filmmakers or studios are as concerned about entertaining the audience. And that's the problem. Last year, a movie called Nomadland won Best Picture. And I would have to say that that movie winning and that director Chloe Zhao winning is pretty much grading on a curve. It was the year of the pandemic. that so really wasn't much released, and a movie like that ended up winning when it really, to be really quite honest, in a regular year that would never have won and nor been nominated. And I'm just basically being very blunt right now. Mm-hmm. And if anyone's basically going to get annoyed with me saying, <laughs> "Oh, I'm being you know close-minded, etc." And or, or what? I, I'm an Asian American, <laughs> Sean Chang, who wasn't impressed that Chloe. Zhao Val won as best director, okay? Oh, so, anyway. Sean, nobody
0: yeah. ever, Sean, nobody ever gets annoyed with you. Now, tell, me, uh, tell okay. me, what was the latest movie that you saw that you could share with the audience?
1: Well, I recently saw Spencer, the, the drama about Princess Diana starring Kristen Stewart. And uh, what did you think? Oh, I was going to say, I was not impressed uh, at all. OK, I thought it was very slow, dull and languid. I've seen and heard people say that it's a slow bird and that her performance kind of grows on you and all that kind of stuff. But I, I don't know. I, I can, I've said it before about certain films that I've liked and other people haven't liked. So I want to be respectful of those people. I'm reacting differently than other people may have reacted to that film. and I respect that they see it differently. I'm just saying I didn't respond to it, and I'm actually really perplexed that some people genuinely seem to have liked it, because I'll just put it to you in these terms. If Princess Diana was this dull, we would never have cared about her or been interested in her life to the degree that we have that a movie called Spencer about her life would ever have been made. I'll just put it to you in those terms, okay? Okay. It's a very one note movie, and Kristen Stewart's performance, in my opinion, is very one note. It's capable, it's competent, but all she does is she sort of like whispers and she kind of like, you know, kind of like crucks her chin and her neck and is looking kind of out of the side of, you know, you have those pictures princess diana where she looked kind of shy would look down and look up that kind of thing she does that kind of expression throughout the whole movie that's i i just really feel like she didn't get to the heart of that character did she get
0: nominated for for best actress
1: oh yes she did and um i'll just i'll just say this that back in october that movie was getting all these raves from i think the venice film festival and it made everyone think she was the front runner but over time, she eventually lost that position as frontrunner. So I may, if I'm not mistaken, she wasn't nominated for the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Actress. She did not win the, the the Golden Globe for Best Actress, Nicole Kidman won. And she was not nominated for a BAFTA, the British Academy Awards for Best Actress. So it made people think that you know she's lost that momentum. And it kind of, I think it has to do with the fact that she gave an interview saying that she doesn't pardon my language here i'm not, I'm not going to say what she said but she said i don't give a bleep about the oscars well you know it, when you kind of express that kind of contempt for the whole process fine then a lot of people are just will just probably feel a lot of the oscar voters well fine if you really are not that interested then why should we give you any attention or you know even pay attention to that i'll just say this about Kristen stewart i've never really been a fan and she Comes, that statement pretty much confirms my impression of her as being a very solipsistic, self-centered, immature individual who, you know, made a statement like that and put her chances of being nominated for an Oscar in a jeopardy. And she failed to recognize that when you are the star of a movie and it has a chances of winning awards, all the people involved, the people who put up money, other people who worked on the film have the potential of having their careers benefited as of well course. being part of a movie. Like- yes, exactly. So when she makes a statement like that, it shows how she, she is just, she is not prepared to be a star and is not mature enough to recognize that she's working in the big leagues. It's a complete contrast to Nicole Kidman and two shows ago we talked about her and being the Ricardos and and Nicole Kidman, she's a pro. She's a star, She, she has a private life in Nashville, but when she's out there to promote a movie, boy, is she out there to promote that movie? And she promotes it because I, I always sense that she recognizes she's a cog in the wheel in, in this m- business called the entertainment industry, and she knows she has a responsibility to sell that movie and basically make as many people as possible interested in seeing it and also uh, have Oscar voters interested in it, in it as much as possible. So so for her to squeak in and get nominated for an Oscar after you know kind of losing that momentum, more power to her. I'm glad she was nominated for her sake, but if she won, I would say it it, it probably wouldn't a win that would be deserved. I I feel like the nomination is the win.
0: Let's come back to the films that were nominated for Best Best Picture. Viewers will notice that on the cover art for today's podcast, there's a collage Mm -hmm. of Posters from most of the films that were nominated for Best Pictures. Why don't you mm-hmm. launch into uh, give us give us your opinion on some of the ones that were nominated for Best Picture?
1: There's this movie called Don't Look Up that was nominated, and it's kind of a science fiction comedy written and directed by Adam McKay. I mean, the premise is, is that the scientists are trying to convince world leaders, including the president of the United States, played by Meryl Streep, that this uh, asteroid is about to you know, crash into the earth. But they find that, that the world leaders and business leaders of the world uh, have these self-centered, you know, self-involved interests that basically put the whole world at risk. And it's a not so subtle metaphor for climate change. It's not a good film. It's not a good film. And I've seen people on social media, you know, say, oh, I loved it. I loved it. Well, they're entitled to that opinion, but it's not a very good movie, in my opinion. And I really uh, Adam McKay as a writer and director uh, said something that I think is very dangerous. He put out he he gave interviews and the co-screenwriter did some tweets basically telling film critics that if they didn't like the movie, then they're part of the problem that they're part of the problem in terms of you know turning a blind eye to issues like climate change and implying that the critics out there are evil. And I think that that is such a dangerous message to send out there to people. Everyone's got their opinions. I've got an opinion that I'm expressing right now that not not many people will, will, will like. I respect the fact that they think differently. But if a filmmaker cannot take that criticism without making it personal and attacking the critics and implying that not only are there, that they lack taste or intelligence but that they're bad people and they're evil that is a very dangerous precedent to set out there so i'm not a fan of that movie and if it wins so be it. But I think if it wins, it's a, it basically sends a very, very dangerous message that a filmmaker can basically put that message out there and not basically be held accountable to making a bad movie.
0: Now, tell me, of the other films that are in the running, g- give me a couple that, uh, that you liked that, uh, that our listeners might want to go see before the March 27th Oscar show.
1: I'm going to be really honest. I really, I don't think I really liked any of them, to tell you the truth, okay? I don't I don't know if I really care enough to go uh, line by line to each movie. I mean, there was Power of the Dog, which people seem to feel is the frontrunner. It's directed by Jane Campion and the stars band Cumberbatch, and it's a, a pseudo-Western, and, and Kirsten Dunst is in it. And actually, Kirsten Dunst is very good, and she's been nominated for, for Supporting Actress, and if she won, I'd be fine with that. It's beautifully photographed. That's about it in terms of the level of praise. Kirsten Dunst is good the photography is beautiful i i had a hard time keeping up with it and I, I and i i finished it i finished it but i kept dozing off and falling asleep to tell you the truth it's, it's a netflix movie so i had to stop it and go back to it it took several tries you know i'm not my idea of, of, of a good time so i you know so i the others i can I, I don't know if i can really you know muster up much enthusiasm for right now i mean we were talking a couple of shows ago about the bond movie uh, no time to die I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that one didn't squeak in to tell you the truth because i like that movie and you know it, it challenged the audience but i felt it was still an, enter- an entertaining movie and intended to be an entertaining movie so that's kind of how i feel about it i mean it, was there any movie in particular that you were wondering about you know in terms of the nominations
0: well there was that there, there was that film belfast was that nominated
1: Yes, that was nominated. Okay, that was fine. Actually, yeah. that was fine. That was fine. It was well acted. Judy Dench, who's also been nominated, she's terrific in it. I I, 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 just don't know if it was anything, you know, that special enough to win Best Picture. And that's kind of, you know, my, my concern with it. I, I will say one thing. A, a movie called Nightmare Alley by Guillermo del Toro was nominated, and I'm really happy actually it got nominated. It was a it's the kind of big studio movie I was talking about just moments ago. An intelligent, thoughtful, big studio movie is just really well crafted and entertaining. It's a remake of the nineteen forty seven film noir starring Tyrone Power. Overall I think it's a it's a very good movie. Is is it best picture worthy? Other people will have to decide, you know. But I think I'm glad it's it got nominated because it was not a financial success. It was a twentieth century Fox movie that ended up being owned by Disney and a lot of people feel like Disney just dumped it out there around Christmas time. I mean, it got promotion and publicity and whatever have you, but it's not the kind of movie you just dump out there around Christmas time in movie theaters. It it deserved a little bit more nurturing. So the fact it got nominated, I'm very happy about.
0: For Best Actor, who's uh, who who's the, the likely candidate to win that? Any ideas?
1: You know, I, it, it seems to be Will Smith's year. I bet that's all that we're going to talk about. It, it, it looks like he's probably going to win it. Of course, I, I, some people might think I'm really shallow, but I really enjoyed the performance that uh, Javier Bardem gave in being the Ricardos as Desi Arnaz. I mean, some people like like some people like Tom Asante, who was on your show, complained that he didn't look like Desi Arnaz, but that's okay. I don't need him to look like Desi Arnaz. I mean, I think he really uh, dramatically captured that character very well, and, and also musically and the musical numbers that he was terrific. So, you know, that's fine. Uh, let's just cut to the chase. The only category I cared about this year and, and people who know me might chuckle was Best Actress. I just want Nicole Kidman to be nominated. And this is a in this in this I'm not a voter for the Academy, but I'm going to use an expression in this in this instance. I'm just a one issue person and all I wanted was for her to be nominated. I wanted her to be nominated as a rebuke against all. All the criticism she received a year ago when she was announced to play that role from people who hadn't even seen the film yet. And, and there's still people out there who still don't like her performance in that movie. I would say in response to all that, she wasn't intended to play Lucy Ricardo. And I think what I particularly like about her and what I like about that movie, and this is something that a lot of people haven't said about it, is is that a lot of movies that are about classic Hollywood now, they really take this perspective that classic Hollywood was this horrific, horrible place where uh, if you're a woman or you're a person of color, it was just a horrific place horrible experience and I've you know as you know I've been friends with and interviewed people who worked in those eras and they always acknowledged to me that the the things that weren't perfect you know they never uh, and and I'm not blind to that either things weren't not perfect but they also emphasized there were a lot of good wonderful things and that's why they worked in that industry and continued working in that industry so that they could continue you know building careers and working at the craft that they loved. What I like about Kidman's performance in *Being the Ricardos* after having time, had time to think about it is, is that she's not a victim. the the script doesn't make her a victim and neither does she make make herself a victim she's really just one tough person I really admire that Um, there are scenes in Being the Ricardos that would echo certain scenes like in Mommy Dearest like when Lucille Ball is being fired by RKO it's similar to a scene in Mommy Dearest where Joan Crawford's being fired by MGM and then the scene in Being the Ricardos where she confronts the CBS board of directors about their reluctance to do a sitcom with her husband Desi Arnaz it's similar to the Pepsi cola board of directors scene and mommy dearest but the difference is is that she's in control of the situation a lot more than faye dunaway's version of joan crawford was in joan faye dunaway's version of, of that kind of scene in this scene where she's being fired by mgm she's emotional she's crying you know etc she
0: she vamped it up too much
1: Way exactly and, it. And, yeah yeah and kidman she's more like what you're firing me? What? You know, like she never loses control of the situation. She keeps her dignity, and in the CBS board uh, room scene, she keeps her dignity. She's in control, etc. So that's what I like. And also the other two women in being the Ricardos, Vivian Vance, and the screenwriter Madeline Pugh—they've got their challenges also. But they're not victims either. And right. I really think that I like that fact uh, that that aspect of the movie. And also Desi Arnaz—he's um, a—he you know—he's he, an a actor from Cuba, you know, in Hollywood, and in obviously the movie that. Shows that there's a level of prejudice against him by people skeptical about putting him in a CBS TV show, but he's not a victim either. So mm-hmm. I, you know, found aspects of, of that performance in that movie that I really liked. So, now, so that's so the, all, all I wanted for her was for her to be nominated. And now t- that she's been nominated, everything after this is gravy. gravy. For there so, you go. Anyway, there you yes.
0: go. Now let's move on. Let's move on to the Motion Picture Academy. And The standards that are now required of the Motion Picture Academy in terms of diversity and hiring of people and and also all of all of those issues around the the Academy making it more diverse. So Mm -hmm. talk to me about that, because there's been controversy about that.
1: It's very nuanced and there's a lot of levels of detail to it. So I'll try to uh, break it down point by point and not lose focus as to what I'm trying to say. Um, And hopefully the listeners will understand the point I'm making. I'll just say, I'll just try to give a personal perspective. I was an immigrant in the 70s growing up in the United States and movies and television was my connection to understanding this country that I was growing up in and loving. I grew up in Southern California. I think I have been treated very well by this country and given a really fair shot. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the reasons I loved movies and television was that I I, I grew up in in areas of Southern California where there were a lot of Asians around. So it wasn't that I was a fish out of water. I wasn't. I was completely surrounded by people that were um, of the culture that my family was from. Sure. As such, I had a real appreciation for American culture. Movies and television was my way of understanding it. So I've, I forgive me for saying this. You know, I'm not saying I speak on behalf of all Asians. I'm not. I'm only <laughs> speaking on behalf of myself. I have never needed to watch movies to see myself reflected on screen back at me. OK, uh-huh. I've never needed that. And the only time I, I will admit, the only time I ever thought it was cool was one of my favorite shows in the 80s was the nighttime soap Falcon Crest. And the actor Chow Lee Chi played Jane Wyman's domo Chow Lee. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And I thought he was a great character and he spoke Mandarin and I could relate to his character. But I don't require that, you know, from 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 everything I see. I, I lay that as the groundwork for the point I'm trying to make is, is that I understand that people genuinely have a need uh, for that, you know, for for themselves. I can respect that, but I think the way the Academy is going about doing it is the wrong way. I'm going to take a step back for a few years, and about a couple of years ago, there was this controversy called Oscars So White, where one year the nominees for actors were all white actors, and it stirred up all this trouble and whatever have you. Uh, the Academy came out with this proposal that they were going to have the, the voting members of the Academy that may not have been as active in recent years, but who still had long careers and prolific careers in filmmaking, they were going to be put into an emeritus category. And I vehemently oppose that because I have a tremendous respect for the veterans of this industry who contributed a lot during their careers and who basically have were either in retirement because they were at, a, at an age where you know they just wanted to focus on their lives and their families and whatever have you, or maybe they, you know, were working in other aspects of media that were wasn't exactly where they started out. But they still uh, it's not like being a doctor or being a lawyer where you need to go back and you know have these continuing education classes and whatever have you to understand the, the craft or the field that you're working in. Okay. You're watching a movie, you're judging it in terms of your work experience, in terms of, you know, if you're an actor, you're judging whether that performance is good enough to not be nominated or your cinematographer, you're judging whether the lighting and the cinematography is worthy of being nominated. And then everyone votes on what they I mean, that would not. That would not change over time. They were they were proposing getting rid of uh, uh, not getting rid of. Excuse me. They were now at quote unquote emeritus. I say that with sarcasm. Emeritus. They were now making them emeritus members who basically you know couldn't vote anymore. So that uh, they were proposing to bring in all these new, younger, more diverse voters in the academy. And I think. By doing that, it really created a skepticism for these new, young, diverse people that were being invited into the academy. If those new young people were being brought in because they were accomplished in their field... I. I- that's fine. You know, there, there should never be any question about inviting those people in. In fact, why not? It, it, keep the older voters in, invite these new people, and, and let's have like, you know, like an like a eclectic group of people voting on the Oscars and let's see what comes out. But I think by trying to get rid of the older voters, by not giving them voting privileges, and then bringing in this new, young, diverse group, they were, they were basically doing a, a form of gerrymandering. They were assuming that this new, young, diverse group were going to vote for people of their own ethnicities. And, in, and over the course of the last few years, that almost seemed to reflect that. But last year for the Best Actor Award, everyone assumed it was going to be the late African-American actor Chadwick Bozeman winning for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. In fact, they were, the Academy was assuming it, it to such a degree, they switched the categories. I don't know if you knew that, Jim. Yeah. Best Picture was not the, the last category anymore suddenly uh-huh. it was best actor they 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 had best picture and we were all sitting there in, in our homes, going, "What's going on? Did the Best Actor award happen?" But then, after the commercial break, if I, if I remember correctly, they suddenly had the Best Actor award. Suddenly, they opened the envelope, and it wasn't Chadwick Boseman; it was Anthony Hop- Anthony Hopkins for *The Father*. Really beautifully rendered and exquisite performance as an older man who has dementia. And he wasn't even there; he was overseas in, <laughs> in the UK. Uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't they wouldn't even let let them do something on Zoom because they wanted either they wanted him to be in some place and London, where all the British nominees were doing, you know, were there in case they won. And, you know, by that point, it would have been 1 or 2 a.m. So so they, they got egg on their faces because suddenly there was nobody there to give a speech or hand the award to because they made the assumption that this new diverse group of voters were only going to vote for people of color. And they voted for Anthony Hopkins. And if anything, It proved that the Academy was wrong, and it actually proved that these new voters, in my opinion, took their responsibility seriously in terms of picking who they thought was Mm -hmm. the best person. Well, fair enough. Okay? So that's why I have a great deal of respect for the new voters who were brought into the Academy. They actually proved the Academy wrong and proved that these people are taking their responsibility for picking the best movies seriously. The problem is they don't really have a lot to choose from because a lot of those movies have become very didactic – Very heavy-handed, very boring, and so I, I, you know, so these voters are doing the best they can. Now, in terms of the standards that we talked about, in getting to that point, about a year and a half ago, the academy suddenly came uh, announced that I guess maybe in 2024 or something, in order to uh, be, you know. to qualify for best picture consideration you have to meet two out of four categories in terms of diversity prerequisites i think the first prerequisite if i'm not mistaken is is that the you know the the, the actors or the characters on screen the lead the lead or significant supporting actors have to you know be from a certain underrepresented racial or ethnic group or right. the general ensemble cast has to have 30% in secondary or minor roles or the main storyline has to basically be about a subject matter centered centered on a you know underrepresented group, and then the second category is something about creative leadership and department heads that at least two of the creative leadership positions and department heads and casting director, cinematographer, composer they have to come from a certain unre- underrepresented group. And then the, the third standard is, is that there has to be from the film's distribution or financing company a, a certain number of paid apprenticeships or internships that where the roles are filled with people from those underrepresented groups. And then four, there has to be a level of representation in the studio or film company in terms of the senior executives from the marketing, mm-hmm. publicity, and distribution. Anyway, you can go read it on the Academy website. I'm not going to try to list it one by one the point the point being is two out of four have, to be, have to be fulfilled for 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 a film to be considered for best picture the people who do, the people who defended it like the new york times you know said well as long as you you know hire people behind the scenes that should be enough but it's a slippery slope just because you can fulfill two out of four of those categories behind the scenes and that will basically get the movie considered it's a slippery slope. You open that door, eventually the academy is going to say the movie now has to have the characters and the subject matters and the storylines, what's on screen, represent people from that category. And you're dictating the content of what's on screen. And I'm not saying I'm not naive. I mean, studio executives, you know, studio heads have always dictated what's on screen. But this is just such a heavy-handed way mm-hmm. of forcing. It's not. It's not a creative perspective. It's not a creative storytelling perspective. It's using the movies as a tool. To get across a certain social agenda, mm-hmm. social point—I I don't know. I mean, if you look at communist countries like communist Russia or China, you know they have state-sponsored art, and that state-sponsored art is always bad art. Yes. Okay. That, so, mm-hmm. Sean,
0: in the remaining few minutes left in the podcast, by the time we come back next month, it'll just be a few. It'll be a few days before the the Oscars. In the remaining few minutes of the podcast today, do you have any closing thoughts for our for our listeners in terms of uh, what to watch for on the uh, on the at the Oscar awards?
1: Oh, you mean in terms of trends to look for? Yes, or, yes, yes. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're. I mean, they just announced a few days ago that they've broken up the show into three different categories, and and three individuals will be hosting it. Not the show, but different categories. Three different hosts will be hosting it. So. I mean, I, I don't know if that's anything to look out for. I, I just hope people actually will care enough about these movies that they'll tune in and the ratings will basically remain at a decent level. They haven't been in recent years, but I hope it does happen because if if the viewership continues to decline, this this show and these awards will become as irrelevant as the Miss America pageant. And I'm not, I didn't come up with that. That's been stated by other people, but as time goes on, I agree with it more and more. And I actually think, to, tell you, to be candid, the people in the movie industry that have supported these initiatives I've been um, highlighting and and calling out I mean how dumb are you because you know a lot of these people are people who are being nominated and winning those awards and if you're if you're basically making you know the Oscars irrelevant it means that your award is irrelevant it means that it's not helping your career and making you a marketable actor that you know is going to continue to basically get paid high salaries and and be considered for the best Uh picture so i i i just the whole thing is such such stupidity like i said i i could go on about this (laughs) in terms of that but but the thing is is that hopefully good films will still be made even after those best picture prerequisites are implemented i still love the medium of film and particularly during this pandemic, where people are going to the movie theaters less. I love television, and I love the fact that we've got all these things streaming that we can watch at home, but the movie-going experience is still special. That's why I'll I'll close with this. There's this famous AMC commercial. Nicole Kidman walks into a movie theater, and she muses out loud about the special qualities of watching a movie in the theater. It started out as being something that people were deriding and making fun of, but now I've I've heard that people in the movie theaters are chanting. They're, They're saying the back at her on screen. <laughs> and, and, and I think, if anything, I, I think it shows that that they're responding to the sincerity of, of it, and they're responding to the sincerity of Nicole Kidman as an actress. I mean, she can play cynical characters, but she herself does not project cynicism at all. And I think when she went and did that commercial, she genuinely was doing one for, what was that expression, taking one for the team or whatever. Right for the team, exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, she was trying to get people out there and experiencing the movie-going experience. And I just hope that the Oscars will survive. And I hope the movies will survive, given all the challenges it's faced the last few years. These are just my opinions. If anyone else feels differently, I respect that. This is just one person's opinion. But I, like I said, I'm an Asian immigrant. Love the movies because the movies helped me understand and respect this country I've grown up in. And like I said, I you know, like I said, I just don't need to. I'll, I'll conclude with this: this Asian actor who starred in the Marvel movie Shang Chi uh simu Liu said uh, uh when asked oh what does this movie mean to you that you've starred in this marvel movie the superhero movie and he said something to me like i mean not to me but he said in his interview i wish a movie like this had existed while i was growing up so i wouldn't be ashamed to be asian oh and i that's I just, crazy when i when i read that i just said give me a you need Hollywood." To make to, movies, to make you validate so, yourself? To, val- to validate you so you wouldn't be ashamed to be Asian. I recognize there's a lot going on with Asians these days. I, I'm as concerned and alarmed about the reports in the news about violence against Asians in the last two years as anyone should be, okay? But any sense of yourself as, an, as a person of Asian descent should come from your parents, your community, or yourself. To rely on Hollywood to give you a sense of yourself you know, is kind of nuts, actually. And it's kind of solipsistic and self-centered. And I, I don't, I've never gotten that. So that's the reason why I, I really am very concerned about this direction that movies are going in by suggesting that it, it needs to be – movies can make an impression, be role models, blah, blah. But I, I actually have always been against movies being role models, even when, you know, even when it's characters I admire and enjoy and stuff. It's like whatever, whatever role models we need in life should come from your parents. It should come from your community. It should come from yourself. Well, the movies Sean, are there to entertain you. Sure.
0: On that note, and I couldn't agree more. On that, note, <laughs> I, I know
1: you. You're cutting me off. On a I I want. I I want to, no, <laughs> no, no.
0: I want. I want to thank you once again for a very, <laughs> for an insightful and lively. <laughs> an outspoken point of view. (laughs) I can always depend on my good friend, Sean Chang to tell it like it is even in the fantasy world of, of Hollywood. So once again, Sean, my sincere thank you to you for joining us this month. And we will look forward to having you back next month on the eve of the
1: Oscars. Well, thank you. And thank the listeners again for putting up with me another time. Thank you.
0: And for my listeners, Please take a moment to visit the website, www.TheSanFranciscoExperiencePodcast.com, to subscribe. All future episodes will come straight to your inbox, and you can also listen to the 244 past shows. Feel free to review the show by going to the review bar on the website. This has been the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy, coming to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.